0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot returns to Christ's crucifixion as described in John chapter 19. Last week, we saw that Pilate feared too much and that the Roman soldiers knew too much. Today, we'll see that Jesus loved too much. Open your Bible to John chapter 19 verse 25. Let's continue to spiritually prepare for Good Friday and for Resurrection Lord's Day, which some call Easter. And now what is the message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott.
1: The soldiers knew too much about crucifixion to be moved by Jesus' suffering. The soldiers were too familiar with the cross to be moved by it. Can't that be true of us in the evangelical church? Cannot that be true of us? Like those soldiers, if we're not careful, we can become so familiar with the cross that we fail to be moved by the suffering which occurred on it, suffering for us, suffering in our places. Yes, the cross can become merely art, merely jewelry, merely a song lyric maybe even merely syrupy sentimentality it's easy to know that jesus died on the cross but at the same time not to contemplate all which that meant for us i trust that as we take communion in the next few minutes that we will stop that we will block out other considerations and that we will meditate and worship on the price of our salvation so freely paid by the Father and by the Son. I trust that we don't wait for the communion table to concentrate on these things, that our focus is on the cross of Calvary all the time. And that coming to the communion table once a month is just a reinforcement of how we're disciplining ourselves to think when we're free to think about anything at all, driving to work, uh, sitting in the easy chair after a long day. I hope communion is just a reiteration, a reinforcement of how we discipline ourselves to remember the cross all the time. We've seen so far in the text that Pilate feared too much to act on his beliefs, and the soldiers knew too much to be moved by Christ's sufferings. But Jesus, ah, Jesus loved too much to think of himself. Jesus loved too much to think about himself. Look at verses 25 to 27, please. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Jesus' loving life was characterized by thinking of others and not of himself, This was even true in the midst of excruciating pain while he was dying on the cross. For when our Lord Jesus' eyes saw his beloved mother Mary, he made provision for her well-being. He told his mother to consider the apostle John her son and Jesus told the apostle John, the disciple whom he loved, to consider Mary his mother. And that meant that John was to care for Mary until she died. And verse 27 indicates that John did this. Apparently from the day of the crucifixion forward, John took Mary into his home and respected her and cared for her as if she were his mother. Some suggest, I believe accurately, that the iron spikes didn't hold the Lord to his cross. Rather, it was his great love for sinners and for his father that held him to that cross. As we know in Matthew 26, verse 53, the text says that Jesus could have called thousands and thousands of angels to rescue him from that cross, but he didn't because he loved too much to think about himself. It was Jesus' love that made him think of his executioners and not of himself. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was Jesus' love that made him think of his mother's well-being and not his own. It was Jesus' love that made him endure the cross until he could victoriously exclaim in verse 30, it is finished. Just before he dismissed his spirit from his body in physical death. Look at verse 30. One of the most potent verses for personal evangelism there is in all of the Bible. When Jesus, therefore, had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? It is finished is one Greek word. It's a word that was a business term. It was a commercial word. It was a word used to indicate on an invoice that an accounts receivable had been paid in full. It was a term that indicated that an outstanding debt had been fully and completely retired. By suffering and by shedding his innocent blood, by dying on the cross, Jesus Christ paid in full your sin debt to God. In full. How should you respond? How should we respond to the cross? Not with fear, that's what Pilate did. Not with familiarity, that's what the soldiers did. But instead, with faith. Faith is a Bible word for trust. Look at verse 35, please. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. That's the point. The Apostle John was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Jesus, and he says in verse 35, moved by the Holy Spirit, that his character is true, John's is, and that his report is accurate. And John also tells us something very significant. He tells us that he has reported to us what he has reported to us about the crucifixion of the world's only Savior on the cross so that we will believe. This revelation is not to make us smarter. This revelation is to make us submissive to the lordship of Christ to be our savior from sin. If you've never trusted Christ alone to be your savior, I urge you this morning to respond to such love and such sacrifice that was made for you by coming to the end of yourself, the end of sin, the end of self, the end of Satan, to come to the beginning of the Savior. You do that by transferring your trust from anything or anyone upon which it once rested to make you right with God and transferring your trust over to Jesus Christ and his cross work and his shed blood and his empty tomb to be your way to a relationship with God. God has brought you here this morning by his spirit. If you came in here without salvation, God has brought you here this morning out of tender love. He knows what you think about. He knows where you're at. He knows you're tired of pulling up your bootstraps to be right with God, to work harder at being religious. He's brought you here in mercy to hear the truth that it's not do, do, do to be religious, but that it's done. Jesus Christ says it's done. It is finished. Would you transfer your trust to Christ from where you sit this morning? You would tell him that you're a sinner you would tell them that you can't save yourself. You would tell them you believe that Jesus died in your place. You would tell them that you believe that he rose from the dead bodily on the third day to say that your sins are paid for in full and that it is finished as written on your account as well because of his shed blood. Could you do that? Would you do that? Right from where you sit. God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus loved me and died in my place. Here and now I trust him in the best way I know how to be my Lord, the boss of my life, and my Savior, the one who pays for my sin debt to you. That's not a magic prayer, but when you communicate that kind of trust to your heavenly Father, trust in his Son, the Savior, he will save you. But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them he gave the power to become children of God, even to those who believe
0: in his name make that decision. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas Rogers. I am the youth pastor at Calvary Bible Church. And today we are um, talking as today is March 22nd, and we are still currently in the fallout of two young men that were found murdered this past week, a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. Let me just read a couple of The different headlines that we see in our newspapers this last week. March 20th, the Tribune. Teenager charged with murder, firearm offenses. An 18-year-old was charged with firearm offenses. Youngster shot dead, the Nassau Guardian, on March 20th. As two young men were shot, found dead in their Yellow Elder Gardens residence. And also on January 24th of this year, The juveniles behind bars, the six are accused after school stabbing at GHS. That is the Tribune. We see that in our country today, we have a lot of problems as we see our young people are getting involved in violence, um, gangs. Um, We need to come back to our Savior, our Lord, and we need to pray as a nation. But this morning, I want to really focus on our young people. I want, as you're listening this morning, we want to talk about peer pressure. And I don't know the background of these different stories. I do know more of a background of the stabbing at the government high school. But to say, a lot of these times, what happens in these situations is done because of peer pressure. People want to feel accepted. People want to feel as if they are wanted by people. And yet what happens is we follow um, people into the wrong places. We follow people as they are doing the wrong thing. And the Bible talks to us and it tells us exactly what type of friends we should choose. The Bible is very clear to tell us that bad company corrupts good character. And you may be listening to this broadcast this morning. You may be saying to yourself, well, you know, Pastor Nicholas, I am a Christian young man, a woman. Um, I just hang with these people because I want to try to win them for Christ. And I, I'm glad to hear that. But the reality of this whole concept is this. It's that we as Christians, we can say we want to try to pull people up. But the reality of what most of the time happens is these friends pull us down. These friends bring us into their circle, and it's so easy. They're caught up because we want to be accepted. We don't want to take a stand for Christ. In fact, in Proverbs 1:10 to 16, it says this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's wait, lay some heartless soul. Let's swallow them alive, like the grave in the hole, like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. Again, the book of Proverbs gives an example as as someone who is trying to entice you to partake in a sin, something that you know is wrong. And as I already stated, you can just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We know in our culture, as we look around and we see um, the crime problem, we know that this isn't just something that hits people because they're involved in different activities. We know of innocent, even babies who have been shot on drive-bys because they've been in this place. Again, we need to understand that this is something that we need to, as the book of Proverbs is telling us, that we need to flee from these areas. We need to flee from these people because what can happen if we can be the innocent person with the wrong crowd? In fact, I know of a situation um, of a friend who I know who basically was wrongly accused, wrongly identified as somebody else, someone who was caught up in some other activity, but it wasn't them, and and, and guys wanted to come after him. And he had to state that he wasn't the guy they were looking for. You see, we have to be very careful. And God tells us that in, in his word that we need to be different. We need to be different in this world. We need to be a light that shines bright. And as we think of peer pressure, we think of the outside, we think of our friends. We need to ask ourselves, what type of friends are we choosing? Are we looking for friends that's going to build us up, that's going to help us to be better citizens for this country, better citizens for Christ? Or are we looking for friends that when the tough gets going, they're going to leave us there stranded? I remember growing up and, and just talking to different people about, you know, gangs and, and how it works and just, you know, most of the time what will happen is if something's going down, a lot of times they will just run and leave you by yourself. Gangs aren't always there for you, but I can tell you someone who is always there for you, and that's God himself. When you're going through these times, and when you think of, as we just read in Proverbs, and you think of the time of of going, you know, that they're trying to entice you in sin, you know, run away. Get away from that. You know, I remember as a, as a, As a teenager growing up, I remember uh, opportunities that I had to to just be accepted by people and to, you know, follow them into looking at pornography, um, you know, even stealing things. You know, it came to a point where I had to take a stand and say, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in that stuff. Yes, it would have been easy to follow the crowd and to do what they wanted me to do because I want to be accepted. We want to be cool. We want the world to see us as people that do the things of the world. And it's so easy to follow the things of the world. But as a a believer, as a born-again believer, we need to recognize that God tells us we must be different. We must take a stand in this world. We must understand that God has designed us to be different. You know, think of you know, Joseph, and this is Joseph, it's the guy who I could always think about as temptation comes, as, as you are, you know, thinking of of how much to run to sin. You know, Joseph had a beautiful woman after him. And the Bible tells us about Potiphar's wife, how beautiful she was. And Joseph said, you know what? Potiphar told me that I could do anything but touch his wife. But yet his wife enticed Joseph to come in to the house with her and no one else alone. Then all of a sudden, She comes on to Joseph and Joseph says, no, I can't do this. And Joseph runs and leaves his cloak behind, leaves his clothes behind. Then the woman calls out to the servants and say, this man tried to rape me. This man tried to sleep with me. You see, we have to be very careful again as we think of this, because that is what the world will do to us. The world will twist the story and make us look like the bad guy. But we must remember, we don't put ourselves in these situations, we don't put ourselves around these these friends, these people that wanna bring us down. We must remember that God has told us to to be an example. And I will pick this up on the next episode of You Talk as we think about next week. As we could think about how we as believers, we need to be children of light, rather than children of darkness. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I wanna thank you for listening to You Talk. And now,
1: today's ministry spotlight. Well, I'm in the radio studio this morning with my friend Dale Lash. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, Rob. Good to be here. Wonderful to have you. Dale serves as the president of Crossworld Mission that is based in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, and he's here in Nassau visiting and ministering at our church. Now, Dale, you and your wife, Jerusha, went with Crossworld some years ago to France. And I wonder if you could Tell our listeners what took you to France specifically.
3: What were you going to do? When we were in seminary, God really uh, began to nudge me in particular. My wife was already, I think, there. But be, he began to nudge me about the the huge spiritual need around the world. And um, I, I became challenged to begin making plans to um, go to a different part of the world if the Lord opened the doors. And he did. And, and um the part of the world that we were most interested in at the time was France. Uh, France was very, very small percentage of evangelical Christians, about uh, six-tenths of one wow. percent. Uh, most of Europe at that time probably would have been less than one percent. Uh, France was a very Catholic, Roman Catholic country in name. Yes. I think seventy percent uh, of Frenchmen would call themselves Catholic, but um, very few uh, were practicing and uh, even fewer had a, a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we went uh, to France back in 1988 to join um, uh, a ministry there that had a vision for starting churches in the suburbs of Grenoble. So we, we joined another cross-world couple and uh, were part of a new uh, church start that took place there in Grenoble. Wonderful, how many years did the Lord have you serve there? We were there nine
1: years. And uh, what were the high watermarks, most significant things you
3: saw the Lord do in that period of time? Well, we had uh, the privilege of working with a very healthy, strong uh, mother church in the city of Grenoble. So it wasn't like it was these two American families that were parachuted in the middle of the French to try to establish a beachhead. We had a good uh, French church there who had this vision. And... um, one of the the great blessings of that ministry was they had a really strong university ministry that fed some of the um, church uh, starts that they were seeking to do and so we had uh, mostly young believers, uh, mostly young couples who were uh, many of them fresh out of um, university, uh, fairly young in their faith and so we, we got to see all phases of a church uh, being born from the very early stages where we did a, a lot of evangelistic uh, kinds of events uh, to the um, training of leaders and uh, um, turning over responsibility for many of the uh, aspects of the ministry of the church. So I, it's hard to say what a high point would be. It, it's kind of like asking a parent, "What is your fa- what was your favorite years of raising children? And it's like, <laughs> well, uh, they all had highlights. And so... Uh, I suppose if you want to say kind of the highlight, uh, it would have probably been at uh, the time when we made a decision to return to Canada to continue uh, in a leadership position with Crossworld, that uh, the church had um, quite an uh, honoring celebration uh, at our departure, and to see this uh this group of believers, uh, roughly a hundred and maybe a hundred and ten strong, um, and to know so many of their stories of how they had come to faith and to see them grow and to see them on their uh, standing on their own feet was very fulfilling. I'm sure I can just imagine that in my mind's eye. Uh, ministry
1: is people, isn't it? It's not buildings or, or budgets, but it's truly people that God has touched and and saved from sin and made new creations in Christ. Would you say that um, that you could see clearly too in that whole process that the church was in fact people and not a
3: locality? Did you move around any uh, location to location? You really do see in, in France, and not just France, I think there are other European countries like it, but in France you really do see that the church is the people because it's very hard to actually get a physical location of your own. In in France, the tendency is that you're either Roman Catholic, which is a Catholic nation, or you are the Reformed Church, which is the official Protestant denomination. Mm -hmm. Uh, And anything else is generally considered a cult until you prove otherwise. And so they make it very difficult for you to get your own uh, meeting space. Uh, We had several uh, spaces that we rented over the years. Um and so you didn't get attached to buildings no because uh you might you know we did a lot of our stuff in homes um and uh we moved several times in buildings so uh it was definitely the people not the building yes it's uh, in in the language of the new testament
1: Ecclesia is the word, as you know, and uh, it means called out ones, people, mm-hmm. ones, uh, individuals. God has called out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His most wonderful Son. And maybe we could uh, close this segment off by uh, acknowledging that the church is people in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the genius of your redemptive plan. Whereas in the Old Testament, you identified a people called Israel, and you meant for them to uh, know your covenants, know your salvation by faith, carry your message as missionary nation to the other nations. We know, Lord, they didn't do a very good job at that, but we thank you that in Jesus' humanity, uh, you made him Jewish. But now, Lord, we live on this side of the cross, we live in the church age where you have called out jews and gentiles to believe in jesus to make us one body Uh, call the church the ecclesia those called out to be different to be in the world but not of the world to share the gospel and to prayerfully see you save individuals from sin and make them believers in jesus and then followers of jesus thank you lord that we have a high and a holy calling no matter what the name is on our local assemblies or churches, that we belong to Jesus, and that we are his called out ones. So help us, Lord, wherever we fellowship, wherever we assemble, uh, in the Bahamas, in Florida, or elsewhere. Help us to remember our identity and to live it out in dependence upon you and for your
0: glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper, and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. Next, I have
1: a question based on the Gospel of John chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. For this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. Here's the question. How is it that the Jews who were rejecting Jesus could not believe? John chapter 12 verses 39 and 40 provide John's explanation for the unbelief so prevalent among the Jewish people who had witnessed Jesus' miracles. The words they could not believe express in the strongest possible terms the sovereignty of God over the Jews' rejection of Christ. John then offers a rather free rendering of Isaiah 6, verse 10 to show that God sovereignly intended to blind the Jewish people to the truth of Jesus' message. These verses demonstrate that God's sovereign purposes have not been frustrated through the unbelief and opposition of evil people. Rather, his purposes have been accomplished. This raises all sorts of theological objections, such as how can God hold people responsible for their unbelief when it has been sovereignly determined by divine election. There are mysteries for which God has not provided complete answers. But believers can be assured that God is good, loving, and just. And His sovereignty never does away with the principle of personal responsibility. God is sovereign over belief and unbelief, but each person must make a personal decision to trust in Christ And apart from personal faith in Him, there is no salvation.
0: You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.